0: Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Amen. Awesome. Uh, what a privilege to, to not just come to church and, and be self-centered. If maybe uh maybe that's a shock, maybe you came here and you came with self-centered motives. Uh, We're going to challenge that uh, because uh, God hasn't invited us to be self-centered because that's not God's nature. So how how do we think self-centeredness as as a Christian is something good if it's if it's got nothing to do with God? Self-centeredness has got nothing to do with God, and so um, as as children of God, we want to mature. I want to mature. Who else wants to mature? Thank you. You you are those people that we see in the Bible writing about that you are a blessing and you're making it easy for those leading you. So thank you for those who want to mature because you're making it easy for me to lead you. And those who don't want to mature, you're making it difficult for me. And the word says it's not for your benefit. So it's not for your benefit if you're making my life difficult for me. So stop making my life difficult for me. Amen. These are all Bible verses, so by the way, just if, you, if you're upset with me, then you're, you're, you're being upset is misdirected. You need to be upset with God, and I, I think all of us don't want to be upset with God, right? We don't want to be upset with God because we know that uh, that's wrong. It's not We are in the wrong if we're upset with God. So this morning, we're going to talk about something uh, super exciting, and uh, Ben already touched on it a little bit. And i just start to, to get into the topic of, of generosity, the topic of generosity. And uh, we're going to redefine generosity a little bit this morning. We're going to look at it from, uh, from God's point of view. And uh, like I already established, God isn't in the business of self-centeredness. And so oftentimes when, we, when we're approaching something and there's, there's self-centeredness in our hearts about something, about a decision we're going to make. Um, ben talked about the, the international mission trip. I think he touched on it a little bit. And so there's three ways for you to, to partake of the international mission trip and be part of that. First, here, it's by praying, by being uh, purposeful and intentional about us in the preparation time for the mission trip. And we've got a WhatsApp prayer group. So if you want to join the prayer group, then you can just go to the link as well at the back. Come chat to myself and uh, we'll share the link onto you to join that prayer group. Secondly, you can be generous towards the trip. Financially, it costs money to go anywhere in this uh, life, uh, unless it's within walking distance. Then it still costs you something. It costs some uh, calories that you're going to burn. Um, but then lastly, obviously, if you feel stirred to go, um, that uh, the clock is ticking out. Firstly, get your passport ready, and then secondly, apply for uh, to, to join us on the mission trip. So that's on the, the, the mission trip, and just a... a Kind of a side note, but we get to be generous and God's heart firstly, we need to understand where does generosity come from, right? If we don't understand where it's coming from, if we don't know what the motivation is, uh, we're not going to engage in it. We're not going to respond well to it. Amen. So what does generosity, where does it come from, why be generous and how to be generous? So we're going to touch on some of these questions this morning. Where did generosity come from, why to be generous, how to be generous and uh, what is it? So... Firstly, we see the account of uh, generosity in, in Genesis. So that's the first account of generosity. And uh, if, if, if I would ask you, uh, where, where, where do you think generosity came from? Or where's the first account of generosity? Then I think uh, a few of you would have gone to Genesis. So we're not going to go to, uh, go to Genesis. I'm just going to quickly speak on Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, we see the account of generosity through the creation of the world. Right? Everything that you get to see today, the people sitting next to you, the beautiful nature outside, um, the the, the food that you are enjoying on a daily basis, all of that was created in Genesis. God created the world. And guess what? He created it for me and you. Outside of you sitting on that chair, outside of me, this world has got no purpose. This world, all of the beauty that you've ever seen in this world, outside of you, it's got no purpose. The world was created for you. Think about that. Everything beautiful, everything that you're enjoying in this world was created for you. That's generosity. And when God created it for us, He didn't expect anything of us. That's another key concept to generosity. No conditions, no terms. Give without expecting in return. That's the grace of God. Sarika shared uh, from, from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 where it's talking about the grace of God. And that the grace of God is given to us freely as a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. Meaning that you can't work for it. Generotis, generosity is something that you are freely given and there's no terms and conditions. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. And so generosity is, is, has been recorded from the beginning of time, and it's God's very nature. It is who God is. You can't separate God from generosity. You can't separate generosity from God. Oftentimes we see things in this world, and people are doing good things, but there's a motive behind it, or there's, a, there's an understanding of, for example, benevolent giving, or um, giving to good causes, good deeds. The world does very well at that, right? I know Bill Gates, for example, like millions. He's probably given millions, if not billions, to good deeds and good organizations. I don't know if he's a believer. Let's say he's not a believer. Does anyone know if he's a believer, just by the way? Anyone met him, asked him a question if he knows Jesus, and he's responded to Jesus? Okay, so just because of the state of the world, let's assume he's not a believer. Let's assume he's not a Christian. But he's doing all of these amazing things. You know one of the reasons why he's doing all of these amazing things? Because it makes him feel good. It sets off chemical reactions in your brain that ministers to your body. Anyone have done the studies and the, the, the fact that giving and being generous does to your body? It does good things to your body. Like Ben talked about smiling. Some of you already forgotten that smiling is a, is a ministry to you and it's setting off dopamine. Please smile. I, I'd love for you to experience some dopamine in your bodies. And so the world understands some of these things, but it's still self-centered. If you're just smiling to feel good about yourself, smile, please, because it also blesses me. <laughs> Amen. If I'm not, if I'm just standing up here and I'm angry and cross with, uh, with you guys and your, your, your lack of uh, response, it's not going to bless you, right? It blesses you if I'm happy and it's like uh, I'm excited to be up front here. But I'm not smiling just for myself. And when when it comes to generosity, the world does all of these good things. But generally speaking, there's a there's a motive behind it. Understanding, hey, I can leverage this. If I'm going to be generous in this way, then I'm actually going to feel good about myself. Who of you know that that's self-centered, actually? Yes, you are being a blessing, but you're also being self-centered. And God is not like that. He's just selfless. He just gives and gives and gives and gives. He didn't do a risk analysis when he gave Jesus. He didn't sit down and be like, okay like, cool, what's the statistics? God will, um, you're an actuary, so come and do the do the math for me. Like, what what's the probability of me, me sending my son? How many people are going to respond? He didn't do that. He didn't consider how much it's going to cost him and what a return on the investment is going to be. That's generosity, giving selflessly. I'm going to just going to look at one verse from Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image and image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. This is another amazing truth from Genesis that God created us in his image. Who of you know that it's a blessing to have God DNA? God, God the creator of this world, put his DNA inside of you. Some of you aren't blessed by that truth. And we've got bigger problems uh, than I thought. Our imagination has been has been used to to kind of be numbed in a way because of the world that we're living in. Our imagination is, is so consumed with what we see on television, and a lot of people have stopped reading books. And what does book reading do for you? It activates your imagination. What does dreaming do for you It activates your imagination? So a lot of us have stopped dreaming and reading books and all of these other things. And we've allowed TV screens and cell phones to numb our imaginations, which is a God gift. Your imagination is a God gift. And we need to start using it. And in light of this truth, when we're studying the Bible, we need to activate our imaginations. And there's a lot of storytelling in the Bible for the purpose of activating your imagination to see something experience something different and so we've been created in God's image and his likeness and so the truth with that as well is that we've got generous DNA inside of us. Generosity is inside of us. Let's go to John 17 verse 22 23 from the Passion Translation it says and I ask not only for these disciples but also for those who will one day believe in me through their message. Who of you know that's us? We've believed because of someone else's message. Jesus is praying for not only the disciples, but he's also praying for those who will one day believe in Jesus because of their message. The message that has been carried across through generations and generations and generations. So Jesus is praying for us. What Jesus was praying for us. And he's praying. And I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and our father are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. So what will the world do? They'll recognize something. Right? Verse 22. For the very glory you have given me, I have given to them. So that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. What made that possible? What is the glory of God? It's God's spirit. It's his presence. Because of our spiritual unity, we are one with God. We are one with one another because we responded to Jesus. That's a miracle. I recently... um, Pretty cool. I recently heard the, the in, in light of this, I heard the, the phrase and the proper explanation of blood is thicker than water. Right? Who of you have heard that phrase before? Blut is not good as water. Blood is thicker than water. It's actually not true. Um, it, blood is thicker than water, but in, what that is actually in reference to is not your biological blood. It's the blood of Christ. Your spiritual union with your spiritual family is deeper than your union with your biological family. Because your biological family, if they are not saved, if they are not born again, your time on earth with them is temporal. Yes, I know we've got certain bonds with, my, with your family, with your siblings. Like, I've got an amazing bond with my brothers. But my bond with my spiritual family is stronger we've got more to talk about we've got uh we we we're living a life on purpose we're living a mission together praise god if your biological family are also born again and you get to live this life out with them that's better right it's that's the ideal but the 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 concept that jesus is creating here there's a unity that we share because of our spiritual natures because we are one with god we're one with nature there's a supernatural miracle in that that God wants us to enjoy and maybe you're not enjoying it but it's not because it's not a truth it's because you haven't come to know this truth yet you haven't opened up your heart to this and allow yourself to be stretched to come come and consider that your bond and your unity with your spiritual brothers and sisters is greater than that of your unsaved brothers and sisters verse 23 you will live fully in me and I will live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity and the world Will be convinced. What will the world be? Convinced. They will be convinced that you have sent me, for they will see. What will they do? They will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have loved me. So, what do I want to get out of this passage of scripture? The world is going to see something if we start to operate in generosity towards one another and towards the brokenness of this world. This world needs to experience generosity. Not in the way that the world has operated and tapping into generosity, but in the way that God demonstrated generosity, selflessly, without any conditions, without any terms. Luke uh, Luke 6.35-36 says, I tell you, love your enemies, help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way your Father lives towards us, generously. Graciously, even when we're at our worst, our Father's kind, and you be kind. I know this isn't a fun passage of Scripture because like, we want to take care of our own, and it's good, like uh, it's, it's a blessing. And, and, and uh, Timothy, I believe it's Timothy or Thessalonians, also records this us that uh, those who aren't taking care of their families are worse than unbelievers. So there's a taking care of our families, amen? It's important, it's God's design, it's His desire. But there's a selflessness that comes with generosity that God wants us to experience. And that selflessness comes by experiencing His selflessness towards us. I'm going to read that again. I, I tell you, love your enemies. Who has enemies here? Point them out for me. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. Who's helped and given without expecting a return? Like Oftentimes we help and we give. And we're like... I hope it comes back to me in some way. Like, we don't even say it sometimes, but it's definitely some subconsciously. That's not the motive of God. He didn't expect something in return. So Jesus is saying, how and give without expecting in return? And we oftentimes think like, Jesus said difficult things, and he was, he was actually, he was unfair because it's not possible for us, and he was unfair because he didn't even do it. You don't know your Bible. Jesus did it. Everything that Jesus encourages and challenges us in in is first because he's done it. He's demonstrated it for us. And secondly, he's given you the empowering to be like him to do it. But you probably don't believe it and that's why you're not living it out. So we need to start believing this. Come to uh, be persuaded by this and it will start affecting the way that we are stewarding our lives. Live out this God-created identity. What is it? It's a God-created identity. You need to become more convinced of your God-created identity than your carnal identity. The way that you've been brought up, the things that you've believed about money, about work, about career. Yesterday we had an awesome time together, challenging the concept of the purpose of your work, of your career. A lot of us have started to, to to idolize our works, our careers, our businesses. We've made golden calves of them. Not realizing that it's a means to an end. The end is providing for your family. Amen. But the end is also impacting people's eternities. We see this throughout the word. And some of you think like, but that's, that's difficult. I don't, I don't really want to. Like, I just want to have a comfortable life. And that's fine if you're there. But we're not going to leave you there. We're going to challenge you. We're going to challenge one another. Because God, Jesus didn't just die for you to have a comfortable life. Jesus didn't just die for you to have a comfortable, mediocre Christian life where at least you're saved. At least your your wife is saved and your children are saved. But we want to have this holy idol until kingdom come. We don't want the world to come and impact our, our lives. We don't want to be with the world because then they're going to contaminate us. Man, you are seeing what Jesus has done for you as nothing when you view it like that. Jesus did something miraculous when you received His Spirit. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. If God has sealed something, how do you in your small mind think that man can undo what God has done? God has sealed you with His Holy Spirit, God's hand. What man can come and reverse the hand of God? I know it's a challenging thought if you've been in that camp, but praise God if we... we, grab hold of truth we can experience freedom if you don't want to grab hold of truth you're going to experience bondage that's what the word teaches us it's only by coming to know the truth and embrace the truth john chapter 8 verse 32 it's only by knowing the truth that we can experience freedom and truth is there for us all to experience salvation is there for us all to experience but you need to grab hold of it god's not going to force you God's not going to force your loved ones, but we get to go to them and make it easier for them to come and understand this. Just a side note, I recently, um, just this past week, shared with someone, they asked me a good question about uh, sharing the gospel with someone who's, who's not necessarily that open and this and that and the next thing. And I shared two, two important things with them. First one is, oftentimes we, we want to get someone from zero to hundred. Say say hundred is the destination of receiving Christ. And we want to get them from zero to 100 in a matter of five seconds. Let's say one minute, two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. We want to get them from zero to 100 in ten minutes. Now I'm talking about salvation. I'm not talking about cars. I know cars go from zero to 100 quite quickly uh, nowadays. But we've got this and so we're putting this heavy pressure on us and it's daunting having this mindset of zero to 100. It's almost impossible most of the time. If you've ever shared the gospel with anyone that doesn't believe in Christ, I think all of us can agree that your success rate shows that zero to 100 is not that easy it doesn't just happen there are miracles where it happens very quickly and praise God for that but most of the time it doesn't happen like that so if we've got this view of right now in the next five or ten minutes I'm gonna get them from zero to 100 we're setting ourselves up for for failure because it's not about first see the destination understanding that it's a process for them the same way that you came to love Your spouse or a good friend it came with time it came with understanding nature understanding and building trust so good a good approach to have in in a lot of those moments is firstly to get them to actually start liking Jesus because oftentimes we just want them to fall in love with Jesus in the first five seconds of our conversation with them that's not realistic get them to like this Jesus that you have and so firstly you need to be likable if you're representing Christ that's a challenging thought as well, because some of you aren't likable people, and now you're telling them to like this God that you are, you're worshiping. And you're, I'm not thinking of anyone in specific, just a few of you. Now I'm joking. So, so it's, it's taking them by the hand and starting to, to open up their hearts to become to, 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 to start experiencing the love of God and embracing that. And it take sometimes it just takes some time. That's the first thing I shared with them, and then the second thing was. Um, that it's a it's a process or I, I share that it's a it's a process getting them from liking liking God to, to growing in that and then accepting uh, accepting Jesus and then the other important thing is is oftentimes we want to share with them everything that we believe about God and firstly if they don't have a biblical worldview if they don't know the Bible like what you're sharing is just like going in the one year out the other year a greater or better strategy to have oftentimes is Get them to doubt what they believe. Get them to doubt what they believe. Because if they've come to doubt what they believe, they'll be more open to receive something else. And believe something else. And that something else is what you have. So becoming creative and strategic about asking them questions about their faith in order to get them to doubt in what they believe. Shake their foundation. Kind of a get them to realize that their boat is sinking and that you've got the lifeline for them. Versus throwing them the lifeline, but they're on a boat and they think they, they're hunky-dory. They're fine. They're not, nothing's wrong. My boat is fine. Get them to doubt that their boat is actually not fine. It's sinking and that you've got the lifeline for them. If God has our hearts, He'll have our lives. We see this throughout the word that in, in, in Samuel, when, when David was anointed to, to, to be the next king of Israel, that he was looking uh, Samuel was looking at all of the other brothers... David was obviously not immediately on the scene. He wasn't part of the the, the selection. And then God encouraged Samuel that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so that doesn't mean that if you have good intentions, you are fine. Please don't only have good intentions. Good intentions has never helped anyone. Has good intentions ever helped you? good intentions ever helped the people that you had good intentions towards? No. The world doesn't need to see believers with good intentions. The world needs to see children of God, believers who are convinced of their calling and their purpose and living it out intentionally, manifesting the love of God, not just having the love of God, manifesting the power of God, not just talking about the power of God. But if God has our hearts, He'll have our lives. And we're talking about generosity And I want to see quickly, for this last 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes that we've talked about generosity, how many times have I used the the word money? Zero. Zero. There's a purpose for that. Because oftentimes we just think about generosity, and yes, it is money. And we're going to get there. But you need to understand that oftentimes... and. The, the foundation that I'm laying now for this message and not talking about money, the reason for that is because oftentimes when, he, when we hear money, we just shut off our hearts and we're like, oh, they just want my money. <laughs> God just wants my money. He's like, we have this view of God as the Godfather. He's like, oh, he just wants my money and if I'm not going to pay up then, and obviously like some appliance is going to go this next week or my car is going to break down. <laughs> he's he's going to take it out on medical bills and this and that the next thing and that's completely nonsense. It's it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not the Godfather. It's God the Father, who loves you. Who desires asked you to come to know Him, to grow in your relationship with Him. And if He has your heart, if He if He has you fully convinced of His love for you, His goodness towards you, and His purpose and His will for your life, you'll start being the most generous person that you know, with your time. With your gifts, with your with your with your money, everything, with everything that you do. Let's go to Deuteronomy quickly, fifteen. So now we're going to talk about just uh, some of the practical and looking at money as well in that Deuteronomy fifteen ten to fifteen says, give freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. The way you handle matters like this, or the the way you handle matters like this, triggers God. Your God's blessing in everything you do. All your work and ventures, there are always going to be, be poor and needy people among you. That's a, that's a truth that we need to realize. And this wasn't a, neg- a negative confession. It was a confession of truth. Because we're living in a fallen world. So even among us as believers, there will be poor and needy people. And we've experienced that throughout the, the start of Grace Life up until now. There are poor and needy people in this, in this family, in this community. And your generosity um, towards the church and giving towards the church is enabling us to take care of those poor, and needy people as well. Throughout lockdown, you've been on the receiving end of being poor, and needy, and the family taking care of you, helping to the degree that we can. And so there's a reason why we encourage believers to not always, at the drop of the hat, just ask for money among one another, even. Or even just giving when you see or you hear about a need coming up because it protects the relationships so rather than you kind of dealing with those things among one another if you're generous towards the church and the family when those things come up firstly as pastors we can help people through that because sometimes there's a mismanagement of finances right and we can identify that and help someone deal with that problem which will deal with the problem of a lack of money Amen. So there's reasons why we strategically do things in the way that we do It's to protect the relationships and to purposefully look after one another. There will always be needy and poor people among you. So I command you, always be generous. Open purse and hands. Give to your neighbors in trouble, your poor and hurting neighbors. If a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman was sold to you, and has uh, served for you for six years. In the seventh year, you must set them free, released into free life. And when you set them free, don't send them off empty-handed. Provide them with some animals, plenty of bread and wine and oil. Load them with provisions from all the blessings with which God, your God, has blessed you. Don't for a minute forget that. You were once slaves in Egypt and God, your God, redeemed you from that slave world. For that reason, this thou I command you to do this. When we come to know and realize, and just pause, we're not uh, endorsing slavery here. Nowhere in the Bible does it uh, endorse slavery. When slavery comes up, especially through the New Testament letters, the apostles didn't endorse slavery, but we need to understand that God didn't come to overthrow natural powers. He came to overthrow spiritual powers. Because if your spirit changes, your nature changes, and your life can change, and you will start releasing people from dead, that no one had to come and tell you physically to do. Amen. That is the nature of God. He came to change our hearts, our natures, because in doing so, it will change our lives. The way we view other people, not as slaves, but as equals. But yeah, in Deuteronomy, this, all of these practical things of release and being generous and giving, all hinges on this. Your God has blessed you with all of these blessings. As He blessed Abraham, I'm blessing you and you will be a blessing. That's not as much much a command as it is a truth. What do I mean by that? God is not enforcing these things on us. If He would, then the finances of the ministry would look a lot different. If He was forcing you to be generous. If He was forcing you, and thank you if you are generous, thank you for your generosity. It's really enabling us to have lights on and a heater uh, there and... Being able to take care of a family and for me to be able to minister to you guys this this morning. So I thank you for your generosity, sincerely. I know there's a lot of sarcasm uh, coming through this morning, so I apologize for that. Sarcasm sometimes is a a way to just kind of lighten the the, the mood a little bit. Uh, Because uh, when we're talking about finances, like I said, it's always like a sensitive topic. And we're like, we're just thinking that church wants our money. And like, I've worked so hard for this money. And I should be able to do with it whatever I want to do with it. And stop telling me what to do with my money. None of you, obviously, present company excluded. Yes, it is your money. You've worked hard for it. Praise God. But God wants you to start seeing His nature a little bit more in you. And that He wants you, with you co-laborer, in how you steward your finances, how you steward your time. And when we start to see that everything that I have is a blessing from God, the talents, the gifts, the, your, 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 the opportunities that you've, you've been brought up, all of these things, it is ultimately a blessing from God. This world that we're living in, it's a blessing from God. For farmers, for example, guess what? Farmers won't be able to farm if it wasn't for God's nature. Right? You get the concept. Like So everything that we do have, every, there's, there's something that you have right now, the brain that you have right now, the gifts, whatever, it's a blessing from God. So these blessings which God has given you, don't for a minute forget that this is a gift from God. And then he's drawing the analogy of slavehood and all of that. But God just wants us to understand this morning generosity is something that is a fruit of our nature. It's something that is a fruit of understanding, understanding our nature and understanding what God has given us, the rich blessings that God has deposited into us. Let's go to Proverbs 11 quickly, and we get to respond with this new nature. But the response doesn't just come automatically, it comes by by investigating our hearts and asking some questions and really just leaning into, yielding to the nature inside of us. Proverbs 11, 24-30 Generosity brings prosperity, but withholding from charity brings poverty. Those who live to bless others will have blessings heaped upon them, and the one who pours out his life to pour out blessings will be saturated with favor." People curse the businessman with no ethics, but the one with the social conscience receives praise from all. Living your life seeking what is good for others brings untold favor. But those who wish evil for others will find it coming back to them. Keep trusting in your riches and down you go. But the lovers of God rise up like flowers in the spring. The fool who brings trouble to his own family will be cut out of the wool and the family servant will do better than he but a life-loving God bears lasting fruit, for the one who is truly wise wins souls. There's a whole bunch in here. And firstly, verse 27, living your life seeking what is good for others brings untold favor. How much of your life is living seeking what is good for others? And living your life seeking what is good for others doesn't just come in the form of, of giving a a gift or financially uh, giving towards the ministry and giving towards the church and enabling ministry to happen. But verse 29 here says, for the one who wins souls is truly wise. The one who wins souls, how do we win souls through sharing the gospel with them? And so a lot of this generosity with our lives. Yes, there's there's a financial application yesterday. We talked about how the, 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 the shrewd businessman that was, in um, the Bible, recorded when the businessman gave off the debt of those who uh, had debts against his master, and he was going to get fired because he was uh, mis- mismanaging the finances. The owner, after realizing what he did, giving off debt so that he would be in good standing with those individuals, the master told him that, "Well done." Why did do he tell him, "Well done"? Because he understood the influence that that giving off of the debt had over the people that he was giving towards. And so your giving and your generosity has an impact on people. But it shouldn't be about impacting them for your benefit. It should about using it to impact them for kingdom benefit, eternal benefit, winning souls. And so the same way that the world oftentimes uses finances to manipulate us, we should become wise like the world because the scripture says sometimes the the, 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 the Wicked the children of this world is wiser than the children of light, Because they understand this and they're leveraging it for their good And so we need to start leveraging our talents and our finances to put ourselves in positions where we get to share with people The love of Christ and win souls because that is what the wisest man on earth at that time King Saul, writing Proverbs, said that the man who wins souls is wise. So, what are you this morning? Are you a wise man or are you a fool? Let's go to Luke chapter sixteen. That was a seller moment. <laughs> Luke sixteen verse eighty-nine. How to leave, reach our generosity. Even though this master, so that's what I talked about earlier on, Luke, uh, I'm going to read you out the Passion Translation, Luke 16, 9 even though his master was defrauded when he found out about the shrewd way this manager had uh, feathered his own nest, he congratulated the clever scoundrel for what he'd done to provide for his future. Jesus continued, remember this, the sons of darkness need to act more wisely than the sons of light. Use the wealth of this world to demonstrate your friendship with God by winning friends and blessing others. Then when it runs out, your generosity will provide you with an eternal reward. How much of our generosity is providing for us an eternal reward? There's only one eternal reward. It's souls. How much of your generosity is leveraged towards that? It's a question. Think about that just for a moment. Just pause. How much of your generosity you're giving? Time, talents, money. How much of it is leveraged towards an eternal reward Laying up treasures in heaven It's a tough question. It's a challenging question But if we're not willing to ask the question, we won't be willing to receive the challenge that comes with the answer and Mature as children of God a good word is a challenging word Acts chapter 2 verse 45 out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute to the, the proceeds to those who were in need among them. I shared about this um, earlier on this year. This account in Acts where, where the believers, and we'll look at another account now, where the believers sold their possessions was in response to something specifically. People were coming from all across the, 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 the world to hear the message, and they received the message. And guess what? They wanted to grow in understanding. But they had nowhere to stay. There wasn't enough, probably, like even um, accommodation for them. So people started selling things in order to make way for them to actually receive the gospel. How awesome is that? People were being generous to enable equipping of ministry. That's what we're giving, giving towards. When we're, giving. we're enabling the equipping of the saints through our giving. Through supporting the churches. Acts 4 36-37 says one fellow Cyprian Levite named Joseph earned a nickname because of his generosity in selling a field and bringing the money to the apostles in this way. From that time on they called him Barnabas which means son of encouragement. Who here would like to have a nickname because of your generosity? Being known as someone that is generous. And in order to get, get nicknames, you need to actually live a certain way, right? And so all of us oftentimes want the, the, the praise and the spotlight, but we're not willing to do what is needed to get there. Now, I'm just using that as a general phrase. Please don't uh, view the pulpit as a, as a spotlight or... yeah, uh, I'm not going to even uh, explain that. I trust the Holy Spirit will reveal to you uh, what that means. So this man was known for his generosity. As God's children, as God's sons and daughters, surely we should be known as people, as children that that are like their father. We should be known as apples that don't fall far from the tree. We should be called or seen as like father, like son, or like father, like daughter. And so if we look at our Father and His vast generosity, His unending generosity, there's something in us that we need to start tapping into. Start coming to realize, awakening to a reality, an identity that we do have. Coming to a close, Second Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So what God has done through the churches. God wants to do things through you. But you need to respond. These things that we see recorded what God done through the churches. What did He do through the churches? They were being tested by many troubles, and they were very poor. So their troubles. Who here has troubles? <laughs> now put it on your hands. Please don't put up your hand. Who here are poor? Like just think about that for a moment. So th- this church, their troubles. They were poor. What happened? But they are also filled with an abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So these believers... Didn't ask, how little can I give? That, if, if that is ever like a, a response in your heart or a mindset of you, how little can I give? You don't know the nature of God that is inside of you. Because God didn't ask, how, how little can I sacrifice in order to accomplish what we get to enjoy today? These believers in Macedonia, they didn't look at their troubles and their poverty and thought to themselves like, Man, I wish someone would help us. I wish someone would look after my needs. They obviously saw something in the church in Jerusalem, and they had a joy inside of them, and they had an eternal mindset that enabled them to give out of the little they had and gave generously. Generosity isn't self-centered. It doesn't consider self 2 Corinthians nine eleven to 13. You will be abundantly enriched in every way as you give generously on every occasion. For when we take your gifts to those in need, it causes many to give thanks to God. The priestly ministry you are providing through your offering not only supplies what is lacking for God's people, it inspires an outpouring of praises and thanksgiving to God Himself. For as your extreme generosity offering meets the approval of those in Jerusalem, it will cause them to give glory to God, all because of your loyal support and allegiance to the gospel of Christ, as well as your generous hearted partnership with them towards those in need. Man, it's so awesome to to be called partners of God but you get to decide to what degree you are partner in this mission God doesn't decide on your behalf you get to decide to what degree you are partner in this mission of God in the family business God doesn't think to himself like okay cool Rudolph, I'm going to give you 30% partnership and uh, Anna I'm going to give you 10% partnership and Philip you haven't been to church that often, like maybe 1% partnership for you. and It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. God invites you to partake to the degree that you want to. You have a say how much you are invested in the kingdom. How much of a partnership, how much of an investment you have in the kingdom. And this church in Macedonia, as it records you, they gave it out of their free will. They gave it out of their free will. But they also understood this thing. And just because it does something good to you in your heart and in your mind and gives you a form of satisfaction and all of that when you give, when you are generous, it doesn't make that feeling wrong. Right? Okay? So it doesn't make the feeling wrong. It's one of the benefits of actually operating in your nature. When you share the gospel with someone and see them come from darkness to light, just because it feels... Amazing doesn't make that self-centered or like wrong. The feeling is good. It should be a good feeling. And that's the blessing that God wants to communicate here. When we start operating in our very natures, it's going to feel good. It's going to satisfy. But we're not doing it to feel good. We're not doing it to be satisfied. We're doing it because we're responding to the love of God that he's given to us and he's demonstrated towards us. Last passage of scripture, 1st Timothy six seventeen and 19. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So praise God it is for our enjoyment, but then also tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future, so that they may experience true life. So firstly, again, God wants you to take take care of yourself. He wants you to to enjoy your hard work and to enjoy it in a moderate way, obviously, not in a self-centered way, but you determine how much that enjoyment is self-centered or how much of it is healthy. There isn't a perfect picture. There isn't a perfect manual. But you determine that in your hearts. And the amazing thing with Spending money on ourselves and kind of taking care of ourselves in a, in a, in a way in in psalm 30, 37 verse 4 it says delight yourself from the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart and That amazing thing is when we start to delight ourselves in God and we when we start allowing our hearts to be become pliable in God's hands He's starting to form and shape our hearts and our desires so it's not like He gives you the desires, you desire Ferrari So here you go, there's your Ferrari. You desire the beautiful this, and there you go. It's about allowing your hearts to light yourself in the Lord. That reference is the reference of allowing your hearts to become pliable like clay in God's hands. And when we do that, He gives you desires. He forms desires in your heart. And so again, if God has your heart, you will have your life. So you didn't have to start asking like, how much should I be spending money on myself? How much should I enjoy this? Those questions will just leave your vocabulary. You will just start doing in accordance with your heart that He is shaped. And you'll start becoming generous because He is generous. And you know that you are one with Him. But oftentimes, and while we're sharing this in church is, <coughs> excuse me, oftentimes we need to see something. We need to be challenged with something, a different view. And that is what the encouragement is here. Tell them to use their money to do good. Because oftentimes we're so busy with life, living our own lives, and we forget that there might be a different way. We're so deep into this thing that we think that there is no other way. And so that's why it's important to tell and talk about these things and share it with one another. Not in the sense of like, do this now and stop doing that. But like I used the example, I believe it was last week with Chris and Michael, uh, my two sons, Michael, the youngest, growing up. And he's seeing Chris doing different things that he can't yet do, but he's excited to get there. He's not discouraged by the fact that he can't do it yet, but he's seeing something. He's seeing maturity in a sense. And that's what we're looking at. We're seeing maturity from the Bible. And maturity is linked to generosity. Maturity is a believer who knows their father and who's growing and understanding that and responding to his invitations. That's maturity. And so we're seeing maturity from the word and hopefully from one another as well. And we're not being put down by where we are at, but we're looking forward and we're desiring. Thank you, God, that that is what you have for me. Thank you, Father, that you've deposited the the resource and the, the, the empowering to live there. I'm going to respond to you. That's all that it is, and that's the invitation for us this morning. As we're looking at the heart of generosity, coming to understand that this is our very nature. This is the nature of God, positive inside of us, and each one of us can respond to this. And if our generosity is not impacting people's eternities, it's misdirected generosity. Please be a blessing to one another. Please, uh, uh, because it's part of kingdom, taking care of family, taking care of one another. But one of the benefits in you giving towards the the kingdom and giving uh, towards ministries like us and churches, we get to appropriately distribute those money and finances to take care of the family, to uh, uh, set up equipping time like Sundays to set up meetings and things like that to to study the word to be equipped to be Enriched so that we can go out to equip the world We appropriately distribute some of those finances for mission so we can go out and reach unreached people So that's the benefit So you don't have to think about all of those things and do all of the math and equations and things like that As we saw the man from Cyprus he came he saw this field and he brought the money to the apostles the leaders Trusting the leaders to distribute the money in accordance to what was needed. Amen. That's a blessing of family. And it shouldn't offend you that someone else gets to decide how your money is going to be stewarded. As much as it shouldn't offend you that if you've got a father and a mother that they make the decisions in the house for your benefit. If we don't understand family in a biological sense, we won't understand family in the spiritual sense. And that's why it's so vitally important to, to not just look at family in the biological sense, especially if you've had a horrible example, but allow to start seeing family from God's point of view, so you can start actually having a healthy understanding of fathering and mothering in the family, leadership, submission, obedience, and all of these amazing things. Amen. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.co. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.